Uh, for those of you that are hearing me for the first time, I'm an attorney, and uh, I have the privilege of working with the National Center for Life and Liberty. Now, before that sounds like a long name, just remember NCLL. Um, how many have ever heard of the NCAA in the college sports world? Sure, the, the March Madness, different things. Um, NCLL, we stand up for life and liberty uh, across the nation. Uh, we work from a headquarters in Dallas, Texas. We have an office in St. Petersburg, Florida, and also in Washington, D.C. And uh, we are battling cases. Uh, we have the privilege of uh, serving your church uh, as your general counsel, and, and we help keep this church out of difficulty. Uh, how many have as a goal not going to prison for the rest of your life? Can I see your hand? Okay, so that's part of what we do. Um, actually working with the church right now on a, a tax matter and some other issues, also trying to make sure that uh, things are done preventively. Uh, we're going to, tonight, uh, during the uh, evening service, we're going to actually do a little bit of an open forum and so uh, I'd encourage you, if you are a regular Sunday night, we'll look forward to seeing you. But if you're a periodic Sunday night, I'd invite you to come back. Uh, we're going to be taking your comments, your questions from the floor, and you will have a uh, lawyer working for you for free. How many think that sounds good? And so we will, we, we will help in that and, and have a good time. But I thought during Sunday school, I would kind of give you maybe just a little historic overview of uh, what is going on in our country. Uh, because I think we have certainly the schools and the media and others that are trying to rewrite our nation's history. I realize uh, many of you here would be the um, older adults and, and you remember a day uh, when the schools uh, still respected uh, the Christian heritage of America, the fact that we were founded as a nation under God uh, but you can certainly see right now in our society that we are not just running from it, we are racing from it. Uh, we are moving away from the heritage that this country was founded upon. If you go back to the Revolutionary War, it was, first of all, kind of amazing that we won. I mean, if you think about it, the, the poor little group of um, Americans at that point, you know, kind of a ragtag army, and the French helped us a little bit, but it was, it was pretty miraculous that we defeated the leading power of the world. And as we got up and going, um, it was a startup. Now, many of you have lived through startups. Uh, you've probably started at some point a marriage, a business, maybe you're involved in a ministry startup, something new. Well, startups are always difficult well, imagine starting a country. And if you think about it, it was complicated. I mean, quite honestly, we almost failed. Uh, the early United States, they had their Articles of Confederation, they're kind of getting up and going, but there's power struggles, there's money struggles, there's bickering, the different states are arguing back and forth, and this country almost imploded under the weight of getting going. Um, they called for a meeting, we now call it our Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, but to put it into real context, it was kind of an emergency business meeting. Let's get the leaders of the states together. Some people were saying it's time to go back under England, this isn't working, we're about bankrupt, we're in trouble, we're not getting along. And so they gathered in Philadelphia, and while they were there, you know what they would do, they would draft 
the Constitution uh, that with its seven um, articles and 27 amendments today uh, has been the supreme law of our land for 200 plus years. And as they were finishing that document and getting ready to send it out to the states for ratification and approval, a debate broke out, and it was kind of a fear-driven debate. They were debating among themselves, how will we make this work? I mean, the Articles of Confederation didn't work. Yeah, we have this new document. We think it'll get approved, but I mean, how will we operate? What type of legal system will we have? How will our our judges enforce this law across the different states? And they argued about two different models. Now, one model was out of England. Now, as you're sitting here in Sunday school, you can probably think of a big strike against anything out of England. It was the mother country. And, and while they had, you know, um, a lot of noble objectives to the war, they wanted freedom, they wanted the new nation, there were also some practical components. Uh, the Boston Tea Party, uh, you probably remember from school the phrase taxation without what? And by the way, how many feel we have that sometimes today? I mean, you know, they seem to get our money and don't hear us that well. But uh, in that vein, they felt that they'd taken their money, they hadn't responded to them. And so there was a lot of anti-British sentiment among the founding fathers. But the English legal system was a system called the common law. Now, you say, well, what made it common, David? Well, there were a couple of things about it. Uh, Number one, it was based on a common source. It was based on the Bible. And by the way, how many believe a legal system based on the Bible is not a half bad idea? But there were other things that made it common. It was used anywhere there was British rule. And so there was a a factor in their mind that they didn't want to put themselves back under the English legal system. Now, the English common law was a a fascinating legal system, uh, very Bible-based, as I told you, but it was... Uh, you know, obviously pre-computer, you know, the, the, the kids can't believe there was ever a time there weren't computers, but the pre-computer, but even pre-printed books. I mean, a lot of ability to pass information along. And so the legal system was largely an oral tradition based on scriptural principles that was pretty much preserved by the men of God. Uh, most of the judges and most of the attorneys under the English common law were also preachers and evangelists. You say, well, that's kind of unusual. Well, they would come into town and they would preach or they'd have people get saved, get their lives turned around. And it was almost like counseling sessions. People would come up and say, hey, I have a problem with my neighbor. And, and the minister would say, no, 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 we're not going to deal with that here. I'll go into town and we'll hold court. And that's what they would do. And so the person would come in and they'd say, I, I think my neighbor should do this. And And the judge or the pastor would say, well, why? And the person would lay out a Bible verse. Here's why I think. And then the other guy would be compelled to come. And he'd show up and say, no, 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 deny. Don't give him what he's asking for. And again, the the judge would say, well, why? And, And that person might quote a Bible verse. And these old English common law courts, they had to rightly divide the word of God. The judge would go, no, you're misinterpreting the scripture. You don't understand what was meant here. You're taking it out of context or you're misapplying it. And so the English common law was this very Bible-based traditional legal system that had 
operated anywhere there was British rule for hundreds of years. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Blackstone tried to write it down. It's still called to this day Blackstone's Commentaries, where he took the time to get all these old cases and tried to put them into writing to preserve them. And he quoted the scripture as his original source 90% of the time. And so the English common law was this Bible-based legal system that the founders were very familiar with, but it was also something that was in England and they were a little scared of. And so that was one that they looked at. The other one that they looked at was out of France. Now, the French had developed this civil system. Now, at this point in time, the French were our friends. They had helped us win the war, and, and so they had developed this new system that kind of worked like this. It said if you take the smart, educated people and you give them the tough problems, you let them come up with creative solutions, you have a good legal system. Now, as you're sitting here in Sunday school and you say, David, I'm basically awake, smart, educated people, tough problems, creative solutions, what's the problem? Well, the problem with the French legal system, from our perspective, was there was no absolute authority. There was no controlling authority to the legal system. So, for example... The English judges, and I'm picking up my Bible here, the English judges understood that all of their decisions had to line up with the Word of God. So, for example, if an English judge went this way on the Bible, or if he went this way on the Bible, it didn't really matter if it was conservative or liberal, but if he moved off of biblical authority, under the common law, he broke the law. There was a standard to the system. What the French had done is they had removed the standard. Now, there were a lot of Christians in France, so they would stay with what you and I would say was within biblical parameters, just from their own restraint. But there was nothing in the system that required it. So if they went a little this way or a little that way, it was okay, because they had pulled the standard. Now, that is what our founding fathers looked at. That's what they prayed over, that's what they debated, that's what they argued about. And the decision that they made, I think many of you are familiar with, but I would encourage you to think that it's truly remarkable, because as you study the pages of human history, it's hard to find where a nation breaks away in revolution, declares himself independent by act of war, and then by decision, they adopt the law of the country they broke away from. But that's exactly what the founding fathers did. They chose to be an English common law nation. And at that point, the phrase was born, we choose to be a nation under God. By the way, how many appreciate that decision of our founding fathers? And you can clearly see the blessing of God. I, I mean, they, they talk about American exceptionalism, and, and that is sometimes, I think, a little bit of an arrogant way to say it. But how many believe America has been blessed of God incredibly? I mean, you look at 
you know, the beauty of America. You look at the invention of America, the prosperity of America. I mean, the, the poor people in America live like the wealthy in many parts of the world. You look at the churches and the missionaries of America, the abundance of our nation, and, and indeed you can see God's hand of blessing fell on the United States of America because they put him and his word in its rightful place. They, they said our legal system, our courts, our, our judgments, our leaders are going to rest on the authority of the word of God. Now, if you look at our nation, you can still see many vestiges of this up to the modern day. Uh, president George Washington Uh, that was our first president and candidly was so popular he could have made himself king at the time if he so chose, but showed deference and and was sworn in, put his hand on a Bible. It was understood that swearing in on the Bible was to show that the, the Bible was to be read alongside the Constitution and any laws or acts of our president. And and by the way, up to the current president, Barack Obama, every single president of the United States has been sworn in on a Bible. Um, Our Congress, and and this is a little bit of a sad change, but up until lately have all been sworn in on Bibles. Over the last few years, they now allow them to choose, and so you do have some that have been sworn in on Korans or other books, but uh, historically, when someone took a seat in the Congress, it was understood that they would lay their hand and affirm Uh, the truth of the Word of God, along with the United States Constitution. Uh, The Supreme Court, uh, kind of an interesting uh, body of people. There's only nine justices, so it's a fairly elite club. And in that vein, when you are appointed and confirmed to serve on the Supreme Court, uh, there's a public ceremony. You probably see that on TV. There's also a private ceremony. Uh, No one sees it but the justices themselves. And that ceremony is a little unique. They go into their deliberation room. You would look at it like a conference room where they have chairs. And the new justice, the one that is coming on the court, he or she will sit. And that shows that they are looking up to those that have gone on before. And so it's kind of a humbling or submissive uh, demonstration. The other justices will be in their robes and they will stand around the table Um, showing again that we have gone on before and you are joining our ranks. And the final act a Supreme Court justice will do before he or she takes their seat on the bench is they will push over to them the Supreme Court Bible. Um, They currently are using the 19, I believe 29, uh, Justice Harlan Bible. They had one ahead of that that was lost in a fire. But they have, it looks like a big family Bible. You would look at it like a big book and they will open to the front of the Bible, and the Supreme Court justice will sign his or her name underneath the words, I promise to uphold the truth of the Word of God and the United States Constitution. And that's what they will do before they take their seat on the court. Now, no question we were founded as a nation under God. No question that the Bible was to be the center of our government. No question that the Constitution and the Word of God were to be looked at in sync and that our founders intended for the biblical truth of the common law to carry on into our day. 
But we're all sitting here, and I realize you're a savvy group. You see what's on TV, you hear what's on the news, you see what's going on, and, and you say, well, David, you're involved in cases. I mean, you're, you're defending where people are sued for praying in Jesus' name, Ten Commandments being taken down, uh, homosexual rights being lifted up, Christian liberty being attacked. The judges don't seem to be quoting the Word of God. The um, legislators, the government, I mean, they're they all seem to be doing what's right in their own eyes. I, I don't see where there is this controlling moral authority in our society. And if that's your observation, you're absolutely correct. You say, well, David, what happened? I'll give you a little theory, something that will put a perspective on it for you. And many of you lived through it. You would have been quite young at the time. Some of you weren't even born. But you go back to the late 50s, early 60s. And I'm just picking that as a range. There's no magic date. The people in the United States of America began to grow weary with the authority of the Word of God. People began to say, you know, that Bible, that Bible says some things are always right. And by the way, how many believe the Bible does do that? And you know that Bible, that Bible says some things are always wrong. How many believe the Bible does that too? I mean, please remember, God can give uh, the Ten Commandments. He doesn't have to give the Ten Suggestions or Recommendations. He's God. Okay, he can give thou shalt, thou shalt not. Okay, he can lay out a standard. But the people of America began to grow weary with the authority of of the Word of God. People in America began saying, you know, I don't want that Bible telling me how to live my life. I, I think I'd like to do my own thing. I think I'd like to live my life my own way. I think I would like to do what's right in my own eyes. And as the people of America turned their back on the authority of the Word of God, the courts and the legislatures followed right behind. And what we did, and it's sad and it's unfortunate, but we flipped, we undid, we went back on the decision of our founding fathers. We pulled the standard of the Word of God out of the legal system, and we replaced it with exactly what our founding fathers rejected. We now have educated people. You can debate whether they're smart or not, but they're educated. And, and by the way, we give them tough problems. Uh, they, they Cases, controversies, issues, decisions, policies. I mean, they, they deal with tough issues. And they come up with creative solutions, but how many understand the problem? There's no controlling moral authority. They can move any direction they want, and they can do what they think is best without a standard. Now, you can see this in some other areas. I mean, let me go back a little bit. Uh, how many remember when there was a standard for the United States dollar? The gold standard, okay, the silver standard. There was a, and you know, for some that go, what in the world was that? The idea was there was a piece of precious metal, something that was valuable, that was designed to back up or give value 
to the currency. And so there was a standard to it, and the dollar would fluctuate up or down based on the value of the precious metals. Well, you know what our nation did, and this is really long before most of you were fussing with it. They removed the monetary standard. Okay, what does the dollar now do? It moves around on its own standard, and it's really kind of a human confidence standard. If, if people think the dollar is more valuable, it kind of goes up. And if people get nervous or scared, the dollar comes down. But there's no absolute standard. It's just clearly an opinion that can throw the thing up or down, and it moves according to those factors. Well, in very much the same way, the Bible came out of the legal system. And all of a sudden, the movement within the courts was able to fluctuate radically based on what people think or thought or agendas that were being advanced because there was no controlling standard to the law. Go back into the early 60s. Um, Cases that we still live with the consequences of to this current day um, is where they pulled out prayer and Bible reading out of the public schools. Now, stop right there for just a moment. Whether you think schools should pray, shouldn't pray, whether they should have Bible reading or not, here's the bottom line. A nation that was founded on the Word of God, a nation that was founded on biblical principles, a nation that has always looked to this book, whether they viewed it as God's Word, with exceptional reverence, all of a sudden it's now being removed from the educational system, where they say, not only do we not want to look to it anymore as a standard, but we don't even want the young generation to know what it says. And how many believe we are reaping the consequences of that? I mean, we're in a society right now where, I mean, people don't just not know what the Bible says, but they actually kind of hate what the Bible says. I mean, there's almost a growing hostility that has been fueled, but the Bible standard was removed in the 60s, and at that point, it's out of the school system. Now we have judges, we have leaders, we have congressmen, we have a litany of public policymakers that have not had any access to the truth of the Word of God, and they don't even know what the Bible says, and it's fueled within them almost a, a hatred towards anything that is biblical. I mean, some of you might remember back, there would have been days, really, most of the young people wouldn't remember it, where lost people, let's talk about what lost means, they don't know Jesus as their Savior. They're going to die and go to hell. And by the way, how many believe that's a tragic state for anybody to be in? But lost people respected the Bible. Lost people respected Jesus. Lost people respected church. You say pastor, ministry, church. Um, There was a respect culturally. Uh, How many understand that cultural respect has deteriorated? You know, in the 80s, it kind of moved into indifference. Went from respect to indifference in the 80s. It was kind of along the lines of like, well, if you need Jesus, if you need church, if you need that Bible, and it was kind of a looking down the nose at it, How many understand it's deteriorated again? Now there's an overt hostility. What makes you people think you're going to heaven and we're not? And and by the way, if it's just David's opinion, 
How many believe it is pretty arrogant to say, I have it figured out and you don't? I mean, if I just walk in and say, hey, I'm, I'm smart, here's my opinion, and you're dumb and don't listen to your own thoughts, well, that's insulting. I mean, people would feel like, well, why are you so arrogant? Maybe I'm right, you're wrong. And, and if it's just men arguing, you're absolutely correct. But how many understand we don't come forward with our own opinion? We come forward compassionately and lovingly and hopefully appropriately with the truth of the Word of God. But our society has become so ignorant of what the Bible says that they actually hate what it stands for in our modern day. And they look at you and say, well, why do you think you're going to heaven and we're not? Well, it's not what we think. It's what God has said. But you go into the early 60s and that's really where the courts and the schools all began moving away from the biblical standard. Let me jump you into the early 70s, and there's a case a lot of you know, Roe versus Wade, 1973. And I'm not here to really go into the whole life issues. It's very sad uh, that that case um, has allowed so many children to lose their life. But I want you to understand that in the 70s, there was another problem, and it was called the words of the Constitution. Um, God is pro-life. How many believe that when you look at the Bible? Okay. So they abandoned the Bible, but now they got another little problem. It's called the Constitution itself. The founding fathers were pro-life. I mean, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. There was nothing in the Constitution that would legalize abortion. There was no way to do it. I mean, you, you couldn't in any way look to the Constitution and find a way to legitimize the taking of this unborn life. But you know the Supreme Court did it. But in 1973, they said, you know what? We're going to do what we think is best with no controlling moral authority. We've set aside the Constitution as well as the Word of God because we're going to accomplish what we think are our goals. And really, the legacy of Roe versus Wade, as sad as all that loss of life is, is that the Constitution became optional. That judges were able to decide, you know what, we're going to ignore this or we're going to not honor it. And, and by the way, that trend has continued to the modern day. I think you've noticed in the news numbers of elected officials not defending marriage laws. A number of elected officials saying we're not going to um, work on these issues. We're going to decide what we think is best and we're not going to look to biblical truth and we're certainly not going to look to the Constitution. You say, well, David, that was the 60s and 70s. Has it gotten any better? Um, how many remember President Reagan in 1980? Okay, good president. Matter of fact, I just heard a clip of his um, D-Day speech back uh, that he gave at the 40th anniversary. Uh, how, how many believe that the, he was a powerful speaker? I mean, he was able to articulate things wonderfully. And then we had uh, George Bush's dad, uh, the first George Bush. We had President Clinton, then we had George Bush the son. Now we've had Barack Obama, and now in his second term. We've had a litany of time, and here we sit in 2014. How many figured out the fundamental problem remains unchanged? They're still doing what they think is best with no controlling moral authority. And that is the chaos 
that I'm battling when I go to Washington, D.C. We meet with the Congress every week. That's what we battle when we're in the courtroom and we're trying to articulate to judges. That's what we're dealing with in cultures that want to sue and attack churches like this one. We're battling a society that has moved away from the standard. Now, we're almost out of time because Sunday school is quickly coming to a close. But let me just give you one thought to think about. How many figured out there's a lot of Christians that have moved away from the standard too? You know, there's a lot of Christians that get comfortable, and I'm, I'm preaching here a little bit, but I'm just giving you a little, you know, we say, well, I can't believe our government's departed from the truth of the Word of God. I can't believe our courts. I can't believe our judges. I can't believe our elected leaders. I can't believe our society has run from the Word of God, but could I just ask you, how close is your life to resting on the authority of God's Word? You know, I, I got a lot of people that will walk up to me and They'll say, you know, yeah, David, I know what the Bible says, but I think, how many understand what happened right there? You just put your own opinions over the top of the Word of God? Well, I mean, in my marriage, you don't understand. No, I do understand. You're putting your own opinions over what God said. Well, with my kids, you, 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 you need to realize, here's what I think. Oh, I, I understand completely. You're putting your own opinions over the top of the Word of God. I, I won't preach the whole verse to you, but Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, you know what it starts with. It's if my people, the ones that are called by my name, and notice what number one is, shall humble themselves. You know how humbling yourself is, quite honestly? Okay, God, I'm done living how I think, and I'm going to start taking you at your word. How many believe we all need to anchor to the word of God? And by the way, as we anchor to God's word, then we're going to be able to pass it on to the children and future generations, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, if God gives you length of days. Uh, We're going to be able to get our society anchored back to it. But it is a little, I'll just be candid, it's a little hypocritical, it's even a little pharisaical for us to complain, well, look at, they're running away from God's word, they're not obeying the word of God, they're not living according to the book, they're not governing according to the book, they're not deciding cases according to the book, and then we choose to go live our lives how we want, as opposed to what God has said. I know folks here love the word, I know you're here in Sunday school, I'm honored that you're here. But could I just challenge you on a personal level, and we're going to talk some more in the the next service and then the service tonight, but I would certainly challenge you, cement your decisions, cement your life to the truth of the Word of God. And how many, by the way, believe God will bless that as he did our country?